Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On Headstrong, we are very pleased and proud to be partnered with the CBD brand, The Good Level. Now, I've been taking CBD for about 18 months to maintain my mental well-being, but it's been very difficult to find a brand that I can trust because there's so many faceless foreign brands out there and you're not sure what you're buying or how it's sourced. Luckily, I found two guys, Joe and Johnny, who have created this wonderful brand called The Good Level. What's so great about these guys is that they support British farming. Many brands import their CBD from America, but the good levels say they don't rely on the methods by farmers that they've never met, nor the farms that they've never seen. They have a really close relationship with their farmers who are in Somerset, meaning they know how their product is produced from start to finish. They're the first CBD company I found who put a face on the brand, and they're transparent with the whole process of how they create their products. And they've even got their own podcast, where they look at the latest research on CBD. To check them out, go to their Instagram, at the.good.level, and drop them a message if you want to find out more about CBD. And for 15% off their products, use Headstrong15 on their website for checkout. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Headstrong. My name is Louis Strong and I host this podcast. Headstrong is a podcast where I sit down with a number of individuals in the public eye to talk to them about their lives and their careers and their experiences to understand what the word headstrong means to them. And to me, it means to believe in yourself, to talk about your vulnerabilities and reinforce your self-worth. Now, on this episode of Headstrong, I am joined by Chloe Maiderly. We discussed her life growing up with two massive TV parents, as well as, as a child, craving so desperately that attention that she desired to be in the spotlight. 
We discussed her getting into TV. We also had a chat about Harry and Meghan, very delicately, of course. And we discussed her relationship with mental health. So I really hope you enjoy this episode of Headstrong. Chloe, thank you very much for joining me on Headstrong today. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm feeling good today because the sun is finally out after we had... How many weeks of rain did we have? Well, I think... Four at least, in a row. It was awful and it really, really started to kind of... I just find it quite hard to get up in the morning when it's like really grey and it's raining. So when I woke up this morning and I could hear the birds and the sun was shining, I was like, oh my God, (laughs) we're free. Um, So yeah, I'm in a good mood. So wait, and hold that thought because I'm starting this series off by asking everybody, I'm checking in with them. This is how I want to start this new series. So I want to check in with you, but I feel like you've stolen it there already. You're just, you're in a good place. Now the sun is out and we're ready to go. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I don't necessarily always really notice it. It was something one of my clients said to me today. I don't really notice it, but until I feel really happy again and then I can correlate it with the weather. Mm. But it's like um, being a woman as well, when you have your menstrual cycle, you don't realise like when you're one week kind of before you you, you start, uh, you don't realise that that's what it is always, or at least I don't, because I don't obsessively track my, my period at all. <laughs> you don't realise and suddenly you're like three days into wanting to kill everyone and you don't know why. And then you'll get another symptom and the penny will drop. And I feel like that with the weather. Sometimes I definitely do like just get a bit down and I don't really realize it until (laughs) until I've already suffered through it for at least a few days yeah 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 I mean there is so much that I have kind of jotted down written notes on that I want to talk to you about so I felt like the only way that I can best do this is in chronological order yeah I do that too I it's it's easier for my simple brain 100% (laughs) so I'm going to kick off with you and your parents and growing up and this this the iconic set of parents that you have that you probably don't think is iconic because they're just your parents and they're probably they probably get on your nerves but to to the to the nation they are they are iconic and you were born into this media and entertainment in, industry did you always think that from very early on that that was the pathway for you yeah i absolutely did think that i would go into tv and i did um, and that I should go in TV, into TV because that was the world that I grew up in. That was the world outside of school. That was the only world that I knew. And it is fair to say as well that when I was really a teenager, all the way up into my early 20s, which is when it started to change, but I loved attention. I was definitely an attention whore. Like, and I, I got a real kick out of it. I got a real kick out of being on camera and being packed and I was, it was really shocking to me, actually, that when I finally did decide to like really kind of pursue a career in television, quite quickly did that reverse. And I found myself, even to this day now, I found myself shying further and further and further away from it. But it was so funny because I definitely doggedly pursued it initially, thinking it would be would be great for me. And it, it just, as it turned out, it really didn't suit my personality type. Yeah, totally. I mean, we talked, you touched on education there. And I know, I think that you went to both private school and college. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So you've seen both sides of of the kind of educational sphere. How do they compare to each other when you reflect on it now? Obviously, I know that this is kind of a few years on from from what we're experiencing now in the educational system. But how do they how did they compare upon reflection now? Uh, Really freedom and taking responsibility for yourself. I think, um, when I went to when I went to kind of uh, school and did my GCSEs, I went to King Alfred's, which is great. It's a Steiner school, and it's um, 
it very much kind of promotes uh, kind of social equality and and yeah like respect social respect um and it, and it's 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 quite a different school like you don't wear uniform you call the teachers by their first name um we are very much on kind of you know close kind of you you're encouraged to have a close relationship almost friendship with your teachers um and i loved it but college was definitely much more it's on you you know you decide when you come when you go if you do the work if you don't do the work and and it kind of it was definitely definitely kind of a learning curve in terms of growing up where did you feel more comfortable then I really, really liked going to King Alfred's, which was my, my first school, if I'm honest. And it, I, again, it was I, when I went to university in Leeds and I got a year into my into my degree, I was doing um, English literature and film and I got a year into it. And I just suddenly realized that actually <laughs> education and, and academia and, and whenever I say this, people think I'm I'm stupid or maybe that's just how it comes across when it's written in print, because I know it's been written in print quite a few times academia just wasn't for me I'm just not that isn't kind of well at the time funnily enough I think I'd respond really well to it now but at the time I very much wanted to be working earning a living have like uh, have I don't know I, I don't know I was ready I was ready and academia just didn't suit me and it's only funnily enough now that I do what I do that and which is so kind of entrenched in science um that I I feel like I would actually really quite like to go back to university but that being said I still don't think I will because (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I think I I do agree with you because I think at that age all people what you should be learning at school is actually social skills and life skills that you need to possess and learn and get onto I don't think that you're actually capable of doing kind of those forms of further education until you are kind of more mature basically yeah because ultimately like otherwise you're just going to be you're not you're not there for the educational side of things if you're going to university in my opinion at 18 to 21 that's not what I was there anyway I was there for the social life and having fun right a hundred percent I think there are definitely my mom is an academic through and through you know she she kind of she fell in love with William Shakespeare when she was nine years old I mean the, the woman speaks three languages she she was meant to kind of attend university and and really eventually do what she ended up doing, which was write books. Um, you know, it was, it was, it, it, the shoe fit perfectly for her. Now, my dad, on the other hand, left school at 16 because he desperately wanted to be a roaming reporter. He wanted to be a journalist. He wanted to be on the ground, you know, writing stories, asking questions. And, and he, he was, he ended up becoming the youngest uh, editor of a local newspaper in the UK. And I think he still holds that record at the Brentwood Argus. He was a teenager. And he and it's really interesting, you know. I think I definitely I, I much more take after my dad than my mum. And yeah, at, at the time, I really I struggled with school. I really did. I think you're right. I think I was too naturally just immature for it. And I think now that I'm older, I just think it was it was such a wonderful opportunity that I had, which I just didn't appreciate at the time. Being education. Yeah, I I completely agree. Now we we've touched on your parents there, but what I want to know is, did you feel any kind of external pressure to follow in the same industry obviously you say that it's all you ever did know outside of school but was there kind of like external pressures of people kind of talking about it at you and therefore you kind of felt obliged to follow in those footsteps no you know what if anything it was the other way around as Mm. soon as I decided that I wanted to work in tv this is also at a time where people like Paris Hilton and and (laughs) lots of children of famous people kind of coming to the fore um and I mean, 
I definitely felt like the second that I made the decision that I wanted to go into the TV, it was actually quite controversial and everyone was very negative about it. And the word nepotism was thrown at me a million and one times. And I think that that is absolutely fair. You know, it's fair to say that a lot of you talk about dentists, doctors, lawyers, a lot of children follow in their parents' footsteps. And of course, you know, people in the industry, regardless of whatever industry it is. And of course, it helps. And of course, people know what your last name is. And I'm not saying it's right, but it is a fact. Um, And it is fair to that I had that word nepotism thrown at me. But I do think that what was unfair in hindsight was that I was actually working behind the scenes as a runner and then a junior researcher and then a senior researcher. I never quite made it to AP because I left before that happened. Mm. But I was doing that at the same time as I was working in front of the screen. Like I effectively always had two separate jobs. Sorry. <laughs> That's my dad. Funnily. <laughs> His phone is on silent. Why did that, why did that happen? Um, VIP. VIP. Let me uh, put on airplane mode. I'll go back a bit if you want to edit into that. Mm. <laughs> um, that yeah. totally worked. It was your dad calling. <laughs> well, it was my dad, so it's kind of contextual. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I, I, I definitely didn't. I now, in hindsight, at the time, I think it just made me incredibly anxious and incredibly insecure. So much so that I think it kicked in motion some some mental health stuff that I'm still dealing with to this day. Um, but now, but also in hindsight, I'm kind of kind of a bit pissed off about it because I'm like nobody ever said oh and she's a runner making tea at five o'clock in the morning for Piers Morgan <laughs> that part was never talked about which I'm upset for my younger self that I maybe didn't speak up about that at the time <laughs> so if we look at the word nepotism then and the way that it was used to you I mean you were clearly a young adult then and you were going through your own kind of journey did you did that kind of put more pressure on you just like uh, like negative energy and then did you feel like you had to prove other people wrong then thereafter it was like more battles than that were actually kind of needed needed yeah yeah it was a lot of negative energy really really negative energy and I and this is the thing like you know you really do have to be thick-skinned or you really have to do doggedly pursue your dream if you're going to wade through that negative energy um, and if anything, you know, if I if I were to put a positive spin on it, it would be that it made me realize sooner rather than later that I wasn't cut out for TV. I wasn't cut out for celebrity. I didn't have a thick enough skin and I did really care what people thought of me. Um, and, you, you know, you can't you can't be like that and survive in an industry like that, especially in the UK with the UK tabloids. I mean, that's a, that's a whole mm. other game in and of itself. Well, I suppose one of your coping mechanisms then was literally get out of the industry to to a certain degree. You obviously did do a lot of TV, but you do now kind of follow your life through fitness as as we, like everyone knows and it's wonderful. But do you find it difficult then to not define yourself by certain things, if that makes sense? As in, because it's very easy to say, I work in TV, therefore I define myself by getting this job, this job, but then working in fitness in the same breath you know, kind of, you can live and breathe your job 24-7 because you don't know when to switch off. Yeah, it is fair to say I definitely used to be like that and I'm getting a lot better at it now. But there definitely was a a time when I was really, really lucky, actually, um, in that I... Give me one second. I'm actually just going to turn my phone off. It's on aeroplane mode. (laughs) I'm still getting everything coming through. Um, Because it's connected to my watch. Take my watch off. Um, Yeah, so I'm, I'm really incredibly lucky, like... Oh, sorry. Where was I? What was I saying? 
Um, so about <laughs> defining yourself um, through kind of your work, because, you know, learning to switch off and so <laughs> forth. So, yeah, so, I, so basically when I got qualified, I, I fell madly in love with, with really weightlifting. That's how it all started. My ex-boyfriend took me into a gym and he was a, he was a bodybuilder. He was a personal trainer. And he kind of got me into lifting weights. And it was really quite immediate. I fell madly, madly in love with it. Um, and, I, and then I started to learn about, well, I started to watch him PT. And I, I got incredibly like, jealous that he had this job that I wanted. And I suddenly realized that I had to quit my, my work in TV. I was working as a runner on, no, I was a senior researcher on Loose Women at the time. I realized that I, had, I, I finally found the thing that I wanted to do. And I had to move home and I had to get get qualified and the first few years were brilliant you know I was falling like madly in love with this new skill and career and passion that I'd found at the age of 21 no 24 um I found this thing that I was just mad about and it kind of made it really really easy to stay excited to stay motivated to go to the gym to eat right to to blog about it to you know to be to be the the face of, of, of health and fitness in terms of my own career and it did, I remember quite quickly, um, flip on its head when, you know, just like everything, as much as I love it and still love it now, all of a sudden it went from being my passion to very much being like my job. And it was a bit of a grind and it was a bit of a slog. And it's really hard actually to be, especially as a woman or especially for me, to be low body fat and quote unquote in shape year round. You know, you do want to go on holiday and sometimes it is Christmas time and, there are, you know, you don't want to always be restricting yourself. And I definitely got into a really horrible cycle of feeling like I had to look a certain way and I had to be a certain way to be to continue to work in my industry. And it only I mean, only really in the last, I would say, two years have I realized that it's okay to not always have abs and it's okay sometimes to go out and get drunk and it's okay to have more real life balance. Um, which yeah, but it was it was it was a weird. I definitely went through a weird time with my job where it was um, kind of like a game of cat and mouse and chasing my tail. So, would you say that you have an important relationship between your fitness then and your mental health side by side? How do you draw parallel with them both, and how do you and how do you use the other one to help the other? Yeah, it's, it can go either which way. Like I think anything in life, you know. There were definitely, so initially, it really helped me weightlifting specifically with my anxiety. There's something, you know, we always say people who suffer with anxiety, that the holy grail is being present. It's actually being able to be in the moment. And and that's what weightlifting really did for me. It sounds ridiculous, but, you know, when you've got your body weight on your back and you have to sit down and stand up again, it is dangerous. It forces you to be present. There's a huge rush of um, um, endorphins, exhilaration, also strength, both mental and physical strength that comes with it. Um, you know, it, it's, it really helped me kind of every day, like lifting really helped kind of grind me, ground me, I should say, really into the moment, into being present. And also there was something about taking control of my body and pushing my body and seeing what my body could do that felt amazing. And the same thing with the diet, you know, as soon as I got control of my diet and I started learning about food and I started, you know, understanding how to fuel my training and recover from my training, there was something hugely, there was, there was a great um, liberation in control, really, is the best way for me to term it. It really felt like I got my shit 
together and it felt amazing and like I say when it got to a point where it became a lot more about how I looked and it did at one point you know I was on the Daily Mail online every day in my underwear people were debating whether or not it was okay that I had muscle which is hilarious and I didn't care about that debate but I did care about the fact that I was on Daily Mail in my underwear every day and all of a sudden it just became this thing it all became about how I looked and then it very swiftly went the other way um and like I say it's only really now in recent times that I've come circle I'm like that's not why I got into this that's not why I fell in love with this I'm fully qualified I'm very good at my job and it is not whether or not I have abs but that was definitely a uh, that was definitely a, a really shitty time that I had to kind of go through and come out the other side of so with that relationship then with your own body and then those the thought process and those anxieties coming into you what were your techniques to help manage and deal with that because you must have hit a point where you were you, you hit the self-realization point where you were like, okay, this is not healthy for me. What are my techniques now to help combat this? So I do loads of things. Um, first of all, I've, I've been in and out of kind of doing CBT for, I mean, oh my gosh. I had my first panic attack when I was 21 on Dancing on Ice. And I, and I realized then that I basically had this, I had some issues with anxiety that I just wasn't, I wasn't dealing with. And I just kept thinking it'll be fine. I can handle it. I can handle it. And it then obviously got to a point, panic attacks are scary. Like I know anyone who's ever had one will know, like it's really scary. And funnily enough, it's like the hours after that are even scarier where you're like, oh my God, that actually happened. And you kind of hate yourself and you kind of feel really weak. And it was awful. Um, so that's when I started going to therapy for it. Um, and I remember my dad saying to me, like, there's nothing wrong with you. You just have to get, you have to ask somebody who knows how to help you to help you because nobody knows, you know, like my dad didn't know, like I didn't know, you know, my friends didn't understand. Um, so that helped just, you know what, even just taking the step to go to somebody and say, this thing keeps happening and I feel awful every day. I feel sick every day. I don't know how much longer I can like, do this. Um, just taking that step helped and then having a professional be like no it's fine I see you know thousands of people like you you're not alone mm. it's really common and like having somebody give me um uh techniques to work through it like you know I don't know if you know about like dropping the anchor mm-hmm. one that really helped me there's obviously breathing techniques but I think everybody kind of connects with a different one and anybody who's done CBT will know that typically you do like eight sessions and then you know you're good for a period of time um and then I realized, I would say, after doing CBT maybe two or three times that maybe I needed to have some kind of more long-term therapy as well, which is something I've been doing for a really long time. And I know that people, you know, a lot of the time, and again, you can probably hear, like, you can probably hear <laughs> hear some of my issues and what I'm going to say. I think people will be like, well, what do you have to be anxious about? Or like, or what, you know, I don't understand what, you know, what. We all have stuff that's happened in our life or that is currently happening in our lives that we all struggle with. And I think it doesn't matter who you are or what those issues are. Even like I say, just taking the step to be like, I actually think I need somebody to help me with this. That in and of itself is going to be a huge comfort and a huge kind of ease for you. What really upsets me is when people are too quick to judge, regardless of what professional industry or who you are, because it doesn't matter what you do and it, obviously there's there's no way of measuring the form of anxiety every single human being is different emotions are processed differently and it can be triggered by anything anything and any normal person can experience it and also it is normal to experience it yeah i think that's what's been important to normalize the feeling of it not to the point where it's just like oh now we don't care about it but it's the point that to know that 
anyone can experience it so you can make a difference now you're allowed to talk about it and it's that safe space now of being able to open up like you and you you talk about it so openly now and that's really important because 10 years ago that wouldn't have been allowed well not not allowed but it would have been frowned upon probably yeah and very much like this is and this is I think you know part of the problem that I had the part maybe part of why my anxiety did snowball was because I felt like I wasn't allowed to have Mm. any issues like you know like I say people go oh she's rich and Judy's daughter like boohoo cry me a river and that that just made it exacasperated it and it made it it absolutely yeah when you feel like I mean you know there's a lot of therapists who will say and obviously every therapist has different techniques but like the more you try and 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 kind of um hide a problem the worse the problem will get if you can bleed some light onto it if you know you there's something going on in the family with somebody's mental health or whatever it might be standing up and actually not hiding that person but saying no no we have a problem that in and of itself can actually breathe some life back into the situation and stop it from feeling so stagnant and and gray and bleak and I definitely always felt like I I couldn't and I shouldn't say anything and then you know even recently do you remember I read (laughs) I read this the other day and I was like if this is still even a problem like Kendall Jenna came out and said that she was having like horrible panic attacks and like basically was just in absolute hell for ages and there was so much backlash of like oh poor little model (laughs) and it's like guys like you have no idea what's going on in her mind or Mm. in her day-to-day life like you really don't know and I'm not saying that she has you know real you know kind of real problems that 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 that, you know the world the, the no matter who you are, you can relate to, but it doesn't change the fact that she's going through some problems and she has to try and deal with them. And it's really interesting to me how people are so quick to judge. So very quick to judge. And actually people, someone like that is, I've always had the deepest amount of sympathy for anybody who's in the public eye, because I wouldn't, I don't think people see it as this glorified lifestyle through social media, which is a single lens, easy to depict lifestyle as the most perfect scenario ever. But you don't see the hundred predators behind taking photos and following them to restaurants and whatever. You know, I mean, I I can't even dare to dare to believe what what they go through. So actually, like, and also it's incredibly isolating. Who can you trust? Immediately, you know, you can there's so many conversations about this, and I think it's so easily forgotten about. Um, and that's not to say that anyone with any normal individual is going through anything worse or, or easier. That's far, far from what I'm saying, but it's just, it's a different type of yeah. anxiety. Do you know what I mean? It's a different type of hell. It's a different stage mm. and setting and storyline, but make no mistake about it. I mean, my parents are really lucky in that the worst that they had to deal with was the tabloid media. Mm. And I'm really lucky in that I dipped my toe in and very quickly realized I wanted to get the hell out of there quickly because it was absolutely did it tear into my mental health like I say so much that I still deal with it now but then I think about the celebrities now the really young celebrities who are not only dealing with the tabloid media and the media which is horrific because every time somebody writes something negative about you you know that all your friends your family your boyfriend's friends everybody's reading it it's horrific it's like being pointed at in the schoolyard and laughed at by everybody it's your worst nightmare come come to life and not only are they dealing with that but then social media and like all this pressure to uphold even if they've made it themselves an image that they created because like I said when I was 18 I was such an attention whore loved attention I absolutely would have bought into that I'm perfect imagery on social media and had a great time doing it and then what happens when you grow up and that's not that's not what who you are anymore because now you know 10 years has gone by and that's not you anymore but then you feel this pressure that you have to uphold this perfect image I mean I feel really really bad for like the young 
mega celebrities of today because I don't you really have to be made of steel I think to come out of it unscathed oh completely I mean so yeah I mean it's incredibly damaging it's not normal what we have created is not normal this idea of like a superpower celebrity basically I mean with with you and your line of work though it'd be interesting to talk about social media with you because obviously you have to utilize it to an extent for your clients and maintaining a professional presence. Now I'd probably put it for you um, because you can use it as a tool, which is really important. But where do you draw the line then on what you are happy to show of your real life now and where you kind of, you know, where's that, where's that line for you from professional to personal? Oh, it's really interesting. I, I'll be honest, I really don't like social media. I see it as part of my job. I see it as something that I have to do. I look at my competitors, both people that I really admire and look up to, and people who I really don't think <laughs> should be uh, as respected as they are in my industry for various reasons, which I won't go into. <laughs> yes. all, all of my competitors. And I'm like, shit, it really feels like a Mario Kart race that you have to be posting every day. You have to be doing the the questions. I actually quite like the questions because I really do like coaching and that's a bit of fun. But you have to be doing it, you know, whether or not you have time that day or not, it doesn't matter. You have to put out informative content and you have to put out physique content because obviously I work in the physique world. And I really dislike it, but I see it as part of my job. So I sack up and I get on with it. But like I say, when I first started on Instagram, I loved it. Like people forget we all change, right? Like I loved it. And I definitely, it definitely helped me build a career a hundred percent. And it is definitely now, it definitely feels like a job. It doesn't feel like fun anymore. Um, But hey, you know, (laughs) we don't all love every aspect of work. You've got to suck it up and get it done. But yeah, it's a lot of pressure. And also there's, you know, there's only so much to say. I really get stuck sometimes. I'm like, what the hell am I going to post now? I've talked about calories. I've talked about protein. I've talked about training. I've talked about rest days. I've talked about female body image. I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes it's just like you get writer's block and I just look at it. I'm like, I don't know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, completely. How do you tackle then like trolls on social media or do you have, or are you kind of strong enough to not even look? I'm really good now. I, you know, when I was when I was very much like Rich and Judy's daughter, like trying to work in TV and stuff, that kind of stuff absolutely annihilated me. Like mm. the conversation of the Daily Mail online annihilated me. Every time I made a mistake and the press wrote about it, which was often, it annihilated me. It really tore me, tore, tore into me and um, made me quite an unhappy little sausage. Now, because I genuinely do love my job, I love my clients, I feel very lucky that I'm I'm a competitive um professional in my industry as in you know like I say there that we we all know who we are and I'm definitely you know up there and I feel incredibly lucky fulfilled grateful um incredibly grateful that you know so many women trust me um and 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 so it really now the trolling is like water off a duck's back because I feel like I'm whole I'm fulfilled I'm good like I'm good I'm fine and I've gone through it with my own body and I've come out the other side of it and I, yeah, I, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me anymore, but that's because my sense of purpose now is very, very strong when, you know, anybody who doesn't have that, who maybe is in the wrong, doing the wrong thing. It's horrible. (laughs) The click, I do the click too. Thank you. (laughs) It sounds like that to be able to preach to the choir, which you now do to an extent, but from a professional kind of basis is you have to have gone through it and experienced it yourself because otherwise you're just talking like in a hollow way. Do you know what I mean? Um, You have to have had 
that experience to kind of understand, right, I know a bit of what you're going through, a bit of what you're going through. Let me combine my experiences with what you're going through and help you in a little way. Yeah, it's, it's really, really important. important. It is It is really important. And I find it really interesting now. So I would never write like a self-help book or I don't know, any kind of mental health. I would never really put myself on that platform because I don't really have any qualifications. Now I can speak to my clients about, you know, my the, the stuff I went through with my body, how, how hard I found it to sustain the kind of the like I say the, the physique that I was trying so hard to hold on to and I was miserable what it really takes what it feels like as a woman when you get that low body fat what it feels like when you feel like you're beholden to the gym I've gone through it and I've come out the other side of it and I have a really good relationship with my body training and food now and I like the fact that I can help them on that platform but there are a lot of people in in my industry specifically men who are really touting around their self-help books and their mental health you know approaches who I just have, they, they have no qualifications for it. And I find it quite terrifying. They like, absolutely talk about your experiences and hope that people mm. play and hope that it'll help. But to release a self-help book is like a 29-year-old man who, you know, I mean, I'm like, that nothing's really happened. You became a PT and you got a good following. Like, I don't like, and I know I'm not, I'm not invalidating any life experiences that these people might have, but I'm like, surely. But to it's, to, it's to commercialize that and yeah, try and profiteer <laughs> off the back of something purely because you have a social media following. Yes. I find it deeply irresponsible and really scary. And it's really mm. prevalent in my industry at the moment. So like I say, like, talk about it, be honest about it. Don't ever feel invalidated by your experiences. But I don't think that that makes you, you know, that means you can do a webinars on, on mental health. Which you took the words out of my mouth in the fact that i i thrive off hearing other people's experiences as well because parts of it i'll relate to and parts of it i'll be like well let me tell you what i went through and see if that can help you talking about it is helpful but it's when you start going this is what i would do hey i'm 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 25 i don't i don't have i've got nothing nothing going on in my life that could help you professionally but you, I mean, you look at this podcast and you look at the wealth, the backlog that you, you will have behind you. I mean, even now, but even in five years from now, there's no reason why actually you wouldn't be able to turn around and be like, no, actually I have enough, like I've heard enough stories and I have enough under my belt that actually I can say like, these are what, these are some of the stories that I think that everyone else will find really helpful. And this is what I could relate to. And that's one thing, but yeah, it's, it's quite scary. I'm seeing like this kind of Tim Robbins effect, just like popping up everywhere. And I'm like, wow this is so unethical (laughs) see that's what i'm doing here is all i am doing on this podcast is never ever preaching but purely documenting in audio in an audio form other people's experiences if someone else hears an experience that is similar or even somewhat slightly relatable they'll go okay i'm first of all i'm not alone and that is the first thing that will immediately put you at ease and the second is hang on if they're happy to talk about it why the hell can't i now yeah, maybe that this that. is an opportunity to kind of progress something, and if it just sparks one conversation for somebody, it's great. So that's that's the beneficial thing for me. Um, but something I definitely want to talk about in terms of the media, and I do not want to get you in trouble, and I don't want to put you to put your foot in it. But it's certainly how the media has dealt with Harry and Meghan, and the way that I would say that they have behaved in in such a way. How would you feel about this situation? <laughs> it's so complicated in yeah. terms of, I feel that being born into the royal family must be, I mean, you don't have a choice. You're there. Like that, mm. that, your life is done. Like you, and you know how I've been talking about, like, you know, we change and, you know, one minute maybe we are 
of one kind of personality type or we have certain characteristics and then as we we grow and we age they change and and you know life is transitory and your character and your character traits are transitory and experience changes you um and I feel I feel incredibly bad really that that whole that the, the way the media treated Harry and Meghan um I thought it was incredibly insensitive I thought it was um incredibly um bullish and it made me very uncomfortable just to sit on the outside and look at it. I mean, I, I hated every every headline I read um, for no other reason than it was just out and out bullying on a mass scale. And it made me incredibly uncomfortable. And I'm not remotely surprised that it ended the way that it did. Um, and I think, you know what, if people need to do do make decisions that they need to make for their own mental health and for the for the betterment of their family's future then more power to them you make that decision protect yourself protect your family and do what you've got to do and I'm not surprised and you know if it, it amazes me as well that the media didn't learn anything from it they still turned yeah. around and they made another kind of pantomime out of it um you know of which they were the responsible ones and everybody else is you know the villain or the, you know the good guy the good cop bad cop and I was just like, you do realize, guys, that this ha- happened because of you. No, but we won't talk about that. Like, don't put that as the headline. We fucked up. We shouldn't have treated you so badly. Don't do that. No, no. Instead, just carry on. Like, and the, the really scary thing is that I think so many people didn't see it and still don't see it. You look at like the Daily Mail Online, which I think is the most read online publication in the world, I think. Mm, um, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think it is. And the rate of, rate at which their stories are coming out, the amount of typos, grammatical errors, wrong names, wrong ages, wrong careers, wrong, 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 wrong. No, none of this is being checked. Nothing's being checked. And also, I would just like to remind people that freedom of speech does not mean any and all speech. Freedom of speech is actually a luxury that exempts hate speech, right? And a lot of the stuff that I read absolutely would fall under hate speech and it's really interesting that people now are like no freedom of speech like do you even know what freedom do you even know kind of what the rules of that are because a lot of the time it's not falling into kind of the british media's um headlines it's just not yeah physical and mental well-being are so important and come hand in hand I'm incredibly proud to be sponsored by the CBD brand, The Good Level, who have well-being at the very forefront of what they do as a company and a brand. They offer CBD oils, balms and jellies, all of which are full spectrum and extracted by a cold press. Their oils are all made with extra virgin olive oil from Kalamata, and that makes them so much tastier than any other that I've tried before. Their balms have a fantastic smell as well and are great to use on your skin or any pain you're experiencing. And of course, their jellies taste so great for any sweet tooths. They also have a commitment to sustainability, pledging to plant at least 500 trees every year along with ensuring all their packaging is recyclable. So if you want to check The Good Level out, go to their Instagram page at the.good.level where you can find out all about their products. And if you'd like a discount, feel free to use Headstrong15 at checkout on their website. Now, let's 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 briefly put social media aside because I feel like we've we're well versed in that now, well covered. <laughs> what I want to ask you is just to carry on the the slight mental health side of things. There is there anything that you do kind of daily, indeed with James as well, to check in with each other or check in with yourself? 
No, you know what? James and I are not that well suited in this regard. So oh, really? James, yeah, James is very much a product of his environment. You know, he went to an all boys boarding school. He went to two all boys boarding school. And then he literally left school and went straight into, into professional rugby. And he absolutely kind of has the approach of like compartmentalize get it done he's an athlete as well like don't forget he's a professional athlete so he doesn't get like bogged down in emotions or even like excitement or regret he's like always like in the moment in the moment in the moment now I'm obviously in case you haven't already <laughs> guessed from listening to this I obviously am not like that like I am somebody who suffers from anxiety I am somebody who I have moments where I actually get really bad social anxiety. There are times where I actually find it really hard even just to like reply to a WhatsApp message. It's so interesting. And the thing is, is that I've just learned and my best friend is a therapist. She's a, she's a very, very brilliant therapist. And she, I think early days in my relationship with James, she said to me, Chloe, you're never going to have a relationship where that person is going to be everything to you. She was like, so if you can't talk to James about, you know, your emotions or the things that you're insecure about or the things that are kind of making you feel anxious because you end up having an argument about it. She was like, that's fine. Talk to somebody else. You don't have to always go to one person for one thing. So in all honesty, I don't typically speak to James if I'm going through a hard time. I'll speak to one of my friends or sometimes usually my dad as well. My dad's very good with it. Um, but I do make sure that I check in with James because obviously he retired. He retired, what, what was it, in two years ago now? I think exactly two years ago for, as of June. Um, and it, it was a real kind of point for me to make sure that I consistently asked him, like, how are you? Are you doing okay? That I watched and monitored him. And he definitely had moments where he, he definitely had moments where I think both his internal and external kind of um, monologues were, were definitely not great. Mm. But I would say he's in a really good place now. He's, you know, he's writing his second book. He's got two podcasts that are always charting in the top 10. He records both of them on a weekly basis. He's, um, he's going out to, to cover the Lions tour for talk sports. So his life has started to pick up steam again and he has purpose outside of rugby. Um, so he's, he's absolutely fine now, but there were definitely times in the beginning where I was really worried about, about his retirement. And I think that that's just something that all athletes have to go through. That's, I think, as you say, it's very natural because it's a change of lifestyle after 10, 12, 15 years of everything that you know, and then immediately you're going, coming to a halt and you're not going training three times a week. You're not seeing 30 people a day at the ground, whatever. It's so different. Yeah. It's so interesting. And I, so did you feel like you were playing like you had like a duty within you? Do you know what I mean? Where you just felt like, obviously, that's like an amorous connection as well. Obviously, you love your partner. But do you know what I mean? There was like that, that dutiful aspect where you just like, I actually need to support you. Even if you say you don't need it, yes. I'm still going to be there. Yeah, I, I felt like one of the things that I think he found so tough, and every, every sportsman who retires is different. But I think for James, one of the things that he found so tough was that he wasn't going into training with like, yeah, 30 guys every day, laughing, being boys. All of a sudden he was self-employed. So he was at home with me and we live like, we still live because then COVID hit, which is a whole other thing, but we still live kind of in the middle of nowhere because of his last rugby gig. And all of our friends are in London and it was like, oh God. And so I really felt like I had to make sure 
I just, yeah, I had to, I felt like I had to make sure that I was there as like a sounding board and to lend an ear, even if it was just to have like stupid banter that I don't find particularly funny, <laughs> but I wanted to help him. <laughs> I wanted to help him like get through it in a way. And it took time because obviously, obviously think about the practicalities of his life. He was training Mm. Um, you know, Monday through Friday, the work week. And then he was playing a game on a Saturday and then he had to go into the club for recovery, like physio and all that stuff on and checkups on a Sunday. So he didn't have a social life really when he retired. We really had to like start him from scratch. He was in his mid thirties and it was like, okay, here we go. And then it was quite hard as well being his partner. And all of a sudden, you know, he was going on, you know, boys weekends. Don't get me wrong. Like he would still go, he, like, you know, the rugby, rugby trips away. And sometimes on the Lions tour, for example, he was gone for like two months two and a half months but it was hard because now it's different he's out like with the boys and and our schedules completely changed you know he was I work from home he was home all the time and then COVID hit I mean it was a real it was a real corker of a first year of marriage I'll tell you that for free yeah god damn we got through it (laughs) we got through it we, I mean, because the way that the media portrays and the way that you guys document yourselves is in a, like an amazing kind of bubbly atmosphere. And that's the way that it's very much seen. I'm curious to know if behind the closed doors, there's that kind of tender side where it is, you know, obviously I know that there is, but I'm just curious to know to what capacity where you can just kind of chill. You talked about your kind of like, you'll, you'll do the banter just, you know, even if it's not <laughs> funny, you'll just play along to play the part. But when does it is there that time for you guys to just chill yeah it's we're good i'm really domestic i really or domesticated i should say i really love cooking i I think also because of the anxiety stuff anything like cooking does it for me yeah it's anything methodical which takes a while and it's a process you have to follow and then you get this lovely end result i think all anxious people really like that and i think yeah love it it's like cooking, training, but both of them really, when you think about it, you're, you're, you're going through the, the paces to get to the end and do something wonderful. And, and so I love cooking, you know, same, same with just like, I like, you know, keeping the house clean, flowers and candles. I like, I'm very much a homebody and, and, a, and, a, and I'm, I'm very much like a classic 50s wife. I know that I have, I run a business and everything, but I work from home and I like it like that. Um, you know, I love walking the dog. So it, it's actually mm-hmm. really nice to me to have somebody to take care of. And I know that that's a really outdated notion of marriage, but it suits me. It fits well with me to take care of my husband, to cook for him, to make sure he's okay. Like I, I very much like being at home with him. Um, and, and yeah, I love our time home together. I think since his retirement, James has become less of a homebody and definitely more of a party boy. So he's definitely like got his times where he'll go off and do that. And sometimes I'll join in. Sometimes I'm not really not, not as into it as he is. Sometimes I'll join in and, you know, have like a boozy weekend. And sometimes I'll just stay at home with the dog. And we've finally gotten into a really nice rhythm, but make no mistake about it. And I don't think, I think, you know, like I say, marriages is, you know, everything, the scenes are always changing you have to change with it um you know we definitely had to work to get to kind of a new kind of homeostasis of our marriage um and it was a real fuck of a year after he retired and then COVID hit it was really really difficult but any couple who had to do lockdown three one two and three together will know that you know you either adapt and you get on with it or you're done so we just adapted <laughs> we just well kept- it's been as you say it's been like one of the biggest biggest tests and you've you've spoken about it very well in the sense that if you can't get through if you if you can get through that then I mean life gets a lot easier when things are opening up. 
Yeah, it does. Life, like, now we can actually, I mean, I'm really annoyed with my parents. As soon as lockdown was lifted, they like went off to Cornwall and I'm like, I would quite like to see you all. And like, it, it's, it's really interesting now. I think that I'm starting to see friends and family again, that kind of, yeah, that, that sense of kind of balance in my, in my relationship is coming back, which is much needed. So speaking of the word balance in the kind of relationship area and sphere, what's, so say, say uh, just scenario, for example, let's say that there's been a few heavy weekends and you were like, right, I do just want to chill. Would you be able to pull the card and say, James, can you stay in for a weekend, please? I would and he would, but I would never ask that. Oh, really? Yeah, like this is the thing. If I, I, one thing that's really good about my marriage is that if I said to James, please don't go or please don't whatever, put whatever label on it you want, I know that he wouldn't. But I think he's he's quite safe in the knowledge that I would never ask that of him. So mm-hmm. instead, what why do, why is that out of interest? Like, because it's good to hear like what what you deem a healthy relationship. I don't. I would absolutely. Do you know what it is? It's put the shoe on the other foot. That's what I always. Mm. If he told me not to go and do something, I'd be really pissed off about it. I'd be like, "What the heck? Like, no, you can't do that." In my in my opinion, every relationship is different, so I totally understand that. In my opinion, I don't. I personally don't think that a relationship will survive if you're dictating what somebody can and can't do. But that doesn't mean that you have free reign to do whatever the fuck you want whenever. The that fuck doesn't you mean you don't listen either. Exactly, there has to be like some respect here. So I would never ask him not to go. But then, what James and what I have said to him, and we have had this conversation more than once, and now it's very much in motion. Again, sometimes you have to force something into motion. Is I'm like, all right, cool. If you want to go out like two weekends on the trot with your mates and have like a boozy weekend, fine. But be aware that at some point in this like three week bracket, I want you to take me on a really nice date night. It's that simple. Like we need time together as well. And also you need to feel like your partner wants to spend time with you. Like, yeah. Well, otherwise what's the point? I'm not just, I'm literally not your yeah. carer. Yes, exactly. So he understands that now. He's very good at that. We have certain spots like in London and also around where we are in Northampton that he knows I love. Mm. Um, and he will, yeah, he'll know. He knows if he's had a couple of big nights out and a, a week or so has gone by, he will be taking me out. And I know he will. And I, and that's it again, like these are, these are patterns and habits that you have to kind of create and force into motion. And sometimes that's the really tricky part of a relationship. Um, but yeah, like you said, you just have to listen and take it on board and hope to, you know kind of change and grow together and it also sounds like there's now an unspoken language with it it's like you you've got the routine of it now not that just not to say that that's what always happens it's like two big ones and then take me for dinner it's not like it's like this permanent thing but you know there's this kind of easy kind of equilibrium of what's going on absolutely yeah you're right it's not like uh you know and every third day this has that and every second week no it's not like that it's just like it's he just knows. understanding yeah, if you know the other person that's that's what being with somebody is if you know the other person it just go, should go without saying exactly but i just i want people to understand because i think you know i don't actually really post that much about james and i anymore because i think we did couples quarantine in the first mm. lockdown <laughs> i didn't like it i felt like it was too close to i just didn't like it at all i didn't want to put it all out and that show would only work if we put it all out on the table and and I did it and it was and I went along with it and when it came to talking about second season I was like I actually just didn't like being that honest I, like in front of a microphone like about about my marriage I'm happy to be honest about myself but also when you never know like what like the sun might pick up on and and the papers did start writing about it and that was it for me I was like no I'm out I'm out <laughs> yeah it's difficult as well when a quote is lifted for you know completely out of context yes. it, it, you don't can't justify the meaning of it in a kind of a column of 80 words. Do you know what I mean? 
exactly yeah that's exactly it there's no context in written in well in the press um but a podcast is lovely because it's all there Mm, exactly now something else that i wanted to talk about in terms of a relationship which is really important and something that you have talked about very well is completely removing the idea of jealousy yeah now i wanted to talk to you about your techniques or indeed just your your mental approach to just say right this is now the present and you move forward it's almost as similar to the james's mentality i suppose of being a sportsman you are always in the moment you you know you don't dwell on the past but you also don't look too ahead in the future you know what i mean yeah absolutely i think look it's a really normal thing like to be a jealous partner and i'm certainly more jealous than james james literally could not give two shits like he he's just so i think secure <laughs> in, in like my commitment to him and my love for him that i don't i really don't think that like i could do anything short of him walking in on me having sex with someone i don't think that he i could do anything where he'd be like oh i'm really jealous like i think he's just like no i'm good you're good we're sweet um but it's definitely something that i've had to work on and you know i come from a long line of relationships where i was cheated on which look you're young like no judgment no drama like it's what happens in young relationships but it definitely leaves you with baggage going into the next relationship for sure um, yeah and, and and i think i just i think it was the first the first rugby tournament james went on i can't remember where he was or what he was doing but it was definitely the first year that we were together and the first night that he wasn't out, I was like wide awake. Like also because I'm with a sportsman, okay? I'm not stupid. I'm yeah, not stupid. yeah, yeah. I knew what I was getting into when I started dating him. And I was warned against it by all the men I knew. They were like, definitely don't go out with a sportsman. So I was like lying there in bed, wide awake, just staring at the ceiling. Like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I just don't know if I can do this. And then woke up the next day, spoke to him, was like really arty with him, even though he'd done absolutely nothing wrong. Obviously, like had a bit of a fight, which totally was my fault, like projecting didn't need to happen. And then I put the phone on, I was so sad because he was away and he was going to be away for the next few months. And I remember thinking like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm going to ruin my own relationship for what? Like, because I'm, I'm like fearful, like this is ridiculous. Like I'll have a word when there's something to have a word about. Um, and also I, I, I quite, would quite like to sleep. <laughs> like sleep's quite important to me. So I was like, fuck, I have to deal with this. I have to deal with it now. And it was really funny. It was just like, I think it was a conclusion, which obviously had been hovering for a while, but the penny just dropped and that was the right time. And I, I don't think I've laid there awake at night panicking since. <laughs> And what will be will be as well, because if you're just having these overthinking thoughts, like you're literally achieving nothing apart from self kind of neglect, almost, you know, you're winding yourself up into oblivion. So it's almost it is pointless because uh, overthinking generally is obviously I don't mean that in any lighthearted way. I know that it's very difficult for some people to to not do it. But you know what I mean? It's just like you're not getting anything out of it. Well, this is the thing, you're suffering the consequences without the, the action having occurred first. Correct. So what's the point? Like, what is self-torture? Like, yeah. And if it happens, then, then get RC. Yeah. Then, then, you, really then you let the then penny drop. Throwing stuff. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. That's cool. I don't mind what happens then because you've got the cards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talked about there briefly as well, your, the lockdown and how, you know, if you can get through that, you can get through anything. And I know for a fact that, there must have been a time in your lockdown where you're probably thinking, eh, kids might be on the way. But instead, you got a dog. Happy days. Now, you are now a dog lover. I mean, you weren't, but you are now. I'm obsessed with my dog. It's awful. Like, I finally understand what people say. So when I used to say to people, like, 
having a kid be honest with me because it looks like hell it looks like absolute hell like be honest do you really regret it do you really wish you hadn't done it or is it the best thing you ever did and everyone's like it's both and always in both a macro and a micro sense in that it's the best thing you've ever done and you've never loved something so much in your life but there is an element of like this is hard work and then in a micro sense where you pendulum swing between like i fucking really regret doing this and then like oh my god this is the best thing ever and I was always like a I don't understand how those two things can coexist right I just don't get it and b like that still sounds like hell (laughs) like sounds like you're in limbo hell so I was like I don't really get it and then I got a dog and now I get it and it is oh my god it literally to a t like, the best thing I've ever done and there are days where I re- like, just want to kill him I'm like I will kill you like when he doesn't come back like recall when he like, he's better now he went through a period where he was really bad at recall oh my days like, that photo of Jane oh, Gary, yeah. that is the classic that was in the thick of it that was in the real thick of him being little shit and he knows he knows because he, he was recalling oh the- yeah and then he went through a period where he just decided no and that's what's so maddening you're like you're deliberately defying me like how dare you <laughs> <laughs> but I'm obsessed with him like every morning it's the best morning ever. I don't know what it is like it's mornings with him that I feel like it's our time and it's the best feeling in the world <laughs> oh I so agree there's just so many like right now Hamilton is sleeping next to me and I'm just thinking right now why are you being so good but this morning you wouldn't let me put my socks on yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, come on. I had to spend five minutes putting my socks on. Also, separation anxiety because of COVID. He has to come into the bathroom with me. It's I like, know, come yeah. on. Bertie does it too. It's so funny how he'll try and get into the shower while I'm in there. So yes, just, the shower. Yeah. But then if I try and get him into the shower, he's like bolting. I'm like, stay here. But you're lucky. Like, how big is Hamilton? Hamilton is here. Oh my God, see, you can definitely manhandle that. Yeah. He's so gorgeous. I know, but it's because he's not charging around like a cocker spaniel right now. <laughs> he's, he's absolutely gorgeous. But then Bertie is huge. He's I know, he's a unit. He's huge, and I can't manhandle him. Like, he, if he wants to go, he's off. I'm like, no. Well, that's the thing with big dogs, because I've always seen myself as a big dog person, but you have to have control. Oh, yeah. Like, on the, any lead control. Like, I saw someone down here and, like, on the street walking this massive Great Dane. And it was, like, a 70-year-old woman. And I'm like, like, you are crazy. Well, I think Great Danes, although, actually, I, mm, I don't know this for sure. I don't know this for sure. The Great Danes that I've met are very chill. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are, like, they're, they've got a lovely temperament. But I just think, like... That one wow. single moment one thing could go wrong, but this. But I think we said this before we started recording. I think temperament is key. I, I think mm. um, I think spaniels and, and and labradors have a very similar temperament. I think they're a little bit extra. <laughs> Bertie tries to make best friends with everyone and everything all the time, and like people like don't dogs hate it. A lot of dogs yeah. and a lot of people hate it, and it's like I have to shout all like every day when I walk him. Like he's friendly because people he like literally wants to be better charges in charges mm. in all right so chloe what is to come for the rest of the year for you then mm. opening up carrying on with your online clients anything else in the works well okay so we're on series four of my podcast podcast which is doing really well it's charting which makes me very happy yeah. um my online business i have two i've got my own coaching platform and then a much bigger one that i do with my business partner emma and both of them are growing with every round we've got 800 clients now on the ec method which is huge yeah it's massive we're probably going to have to start getting some help at some point um but that makes me happy because it means that we're doing a really good job I like every exactly 
just from word of mouth, every round we've grown by, well, we started off with 100 clients and now we're on 800 and it's only been a year. So we're growing, we're growing, we're growing. And um, I love I love my job. I feel very lucky. I will be doing a fifth book. But what that book is, is very much to be confirmed because I don't know... <laughs> It's like I was saying about getting writer's block. I'm like, I don't know what else I can possibly It's on write. a need-to-know basis, and I do not need to know. Yeah, and I'm so scared. That they, I've got a meeting with them in a few weeks. I'm so scared that they're going to be like, what about a self-help book? And I'm going to have to be like, no. <laughs> listen <laughs> to Headstrong. I'm not doing it. I'll be like, listen to Headstrong. I had this rant. Um, so, yeah, that, that is, that's really, I think, what the next big decision will be. And, um, yeah, yeah, exciting. Okay, so my final question that I ask every single guest that comes on the podcast, what does the word headstrong mean to you? Headstrong means to me that you back yourself. And I think that's actually a piece of advice that James, like I say, we're not super well suited as athlete and you know, anxious mess. Um, <laughs> but that's a piece of advice he gave me that has served me very well back yourself if you know that what you're doing is coming from an authentic place and I know I hate that word as well because it's so woke but if it comes from an authentic place like your heart your soul this is a decision that feels right to you and it doesn't matter if it's professional or personal there are probably going to be hurdles at some point back yourself um and if you know that that something is right and your morals and your ethics are in the right place then no matter what you're coming up against back yourself um and that's what headstrong means to me it means it means back yourself <laughs> i wouldn't be able to manage my anxiety on a day-to-day basis if i wasn't authentic on social media and on podcasts like this it would blow up. I, I can't lie. I can't do the whole play a role thing, which I actually think doesn't serve me that well because sometimes you have to play a role. Um, but if I did that, my anxiety would be out of control. So I think being authentic for me is, is a huge, huge part of being headstrong. Oh, that's amazing. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, a really Matt. good, really good chat. It's been great. I loved it. Thank oh, you. There we go. It's great to have teamed up with The Good Level, a British CBD company who share a similar ethos to that of Headstrong. The Good Level co-founders, Joe and Johnny, believe in CBD as it's helped them and their families with their physical and mental well-being. Whether that's using their balms to recover from physical exercise or using their oils to manage stress and anxiety or to get a better night's sleep, The Good Level has well-being at the very centre of their brand. As we've partnered up with them for this season, you can get a 15% discount off all their orders using Headstrong15 at checkout. And if you're not sure about CBD yet, no worries. Joe and Johnny are always happy to chat and answer all your questions. You can contact them via their website or check out their Instagram at the.good.level. And that's Headstrong15 at checkout. And that's it for this episode of Headstrong. A huge, huge thank you to Chloe for joining me on the podcast. And hopefully we'll be able to get James Haskell on the podcast next series. Fingers crossed for that. And if you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to tag James in any Headstrong posts and we'll try and get him on. That's it for this episode then. So thank you so much to you for tuning in. Please, if you did enjoy it, like, subscribe, Go follow us on Instagram, Twitter, wherever. It would be great to have your support all over the place and do share it with any family and friends. Join us next week for our series finale.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.